Well, my name is uh, Pastor Eric Channing, and I am glad to be with you all today. We are in a series, an Advent series, through the book of John, in John chapter 1. And so today's preaching passage comes from John 1, verses 6 to 13. So hear the word of the Lord now. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's word for us. Let's sit down and come to the Lord in prayer as we seek to understand. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you have given us your word, the eternal word, the Lord Jesus, and your living word here as recorded in the Bible. Lord, we ask that you, by the power of your spirit, would open our eyes to help us understand your word for us today, that we would not just hear it, but we would apply it into our lives. And we pray that you would do that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I wonder what what kind of news are you most likely to believe? Most of us are, are likely to believe news from people that we trust. This is why the world uses famous people to endorse their products. If you think about it, I would have never eaten the breakfast of champions, Wheaties, without Michael Jordan endorsing that, or for that matter, the green sugar water called Gatorade, if I didn't want to be like Mike. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but uh, today, Taylor Swift tells us to drink Diet Coke. Somehow, if she endorses it, Diet Coke will taste better. Or the old Star Trek guy, William Shatner, says, if you should book all your flights on Priceline because somehow he is trustworthy. And the list goes on and on. Now, when God chose to make known the greatest news of all time, he also sent a type of endorser, a trustworthy witness. But he didn't send a celebrity. He sent one who ate locusts and wild honey. And we're going to learn about this witness in our passage today. But the, the main reason for this witness coming to earth was so that, not that we would buy some product, but that we might believe in the one to whom this witness testified. This theme of belief is why the apostle John wrote his gospel account. He tells us his purpose. It's really helpful at the end of chapter 20 of his book. He gives two reasons for writing this book. He says, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And second, that by believing, you may have life in his name. If you remember last week, John began his gospel by introducing Jesus as the eternal word, the word who always existed. He was in the beginning with God. 
He was, in fact, God. And in today's passage, John moves beyond this picture of Jesus as the Word, and now he describes him as the light or the true light. And in this text, we are confronted with a choice to receive the light or to remain in darkness. And so the main thrust of today's passage can be summarized in just this one sentence. The testimony is clear. To become a child of God, you must receive God's light. To become a child of God, you must receive his light. The passage breaks down into two sections. And from those two sections, the following two exhortations for us today emerge. First, listen to God's witness. That comes from verses 6 to 8. And second, receive God's light. Receive the light. That's in verses 9 to 13. So let's first consider why we should listen to God's witness. I wonder if you've ever read a book or you've watched a movie and you've been thoroughly confused. You're you're thinking like, what in the world is happening? Only to realize that at the end of the story, all these insignificant parts, they seem like they don't fit together. They all fit together and they lead to a, a masterful end to the story. It's the evidence of great storytelling. Well, God is the author of the greatest story that the world has ever known, the redemption story of this world. And it's all moving toward a purpose. You see, God's amazing plan for the world uh, began before the world was created. In eternity past, we learned that in verse 1 last week. In the beginning was the Word. And through this Word, all things were created for His glory. And ever since then, God's plan has been moving forward. His plan has been accomplished and is being accomplished. That's why we shouldn't be surprised when the Bible fits together so incredibly, when the prophecies are all fulfilled, and when the story seems to build on itself towards a crescendo, because God has planned it to be like that all along. He is fulfilling his plans for this world. And so for to, in order to have some context for our text this morning, I want to take you to the end of the Old Testament first. So if you have a Bible, you could turn there. Otherwise, I'll just read it out for us. And the book of Malachi is where the Old Testament ends. I'm going to read for us just the very end of the book of Malachi to give some context for today's passage. It says this in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. What a way to end the Old Testament. (laughs) And then nothing, nothing for hundreds of years. No prophet, no sign that the Messiah was coming. Sure, God was still at work, but there was silence until we get to the words from today's passage in John chapter 1. 
They're amazing words. They're encouraging words. What are these words? In verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. God was no longer silent. Well, who was this man? Who was this man, John? It's not the John who wrote the gospel. It's John the Baptist. And we don't have a lot of information here, and so we have to go to other gospel accounts to learn about this John the Baptist. From Luke's gospel, we learn that the angel Gabriel appeared to a priest named Zechariah. And he said, you're to name, you're going to have a son. Zechariah was really old, so was his wife. You're going to have a son. You're to name him John. He's going to be a powerful uh, man from the Lord. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Zechariah could hardly believe this. He didn't believe it. And so the angel said, well, you're not going to speak until he's born uh, because you didn't believe my word. He said he would be very special. He told John that, Uh, He would, or Zechariah, that John would turn many Israelites to the Lord. And then get this. Remember what we just read in Malachi? Then the angel Gabriel alludes to the book of Malachi, and he says, He will go before him in the power, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. You see, God had been at work that whole time. God had planned it all. His story is always moving forward. He had promised to send this prophet, and now in verse 6, we see that he had sent this prophet. So it's this John, John the Baptist, that was sent from God. Verse 7 of our passage explains what John came to do. It says, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So God sent forth a witness to bear witness or to give testimony about the light, which we will see in a moment is Jesus. And why did he do that? The text says, so that all might believe in Jesus through him. That's the point of John the Baptist coming in the entirety of this gospel. It's the point of this gospel, that all might believe in the name of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was a unique figure. We learn from Matthew's gospel, Jesus says that among those born of women, there were none greater than John the Baptist. Not Moses, not David, not Daniel, none of the other heroes of the faith, none were greater than John the Baptist. But even this one who was so great among men was only there to testify about a much greater one, a much greater one to come, the greatest one the world has ever known. So verse 8 says, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist, he knew his place couple chapters later in John's gospel, in chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist says, he, meaning Jesus, must increase, I must decrease. He refused to steal any of the glory away from Jesus. And after he baptized Jesus, later in this chapter, Aaron's going to preach on this in a couple weeks, in verse 34, John the Baptist says, I have seen and I have borne witness that this, this Jesus, he is the Son of God. 
Well, this witness, this prophet, this one who was sent from God, the greatest one born among women, testifies about the light who is Jesus. And friends, I would just want to stop there and I want to say that, the, that God is not trying to hide himself from you. He is not trying to hide himself from the world. He has sent his witness before the coming of Jesus. And as we read throughout John's gospel, there are witnesses that abound throughout that text. John the Baptist is merely the first witness of many. So I just want you to hear some of those who will bear witness about Jesus in the gospel of John. We've got the Samaritan woman who bears witness. That's in John 4. Then we have Jesus' own works and his own miracles. They bear witness about Jesus in John 5, 36. John, God the Father bears witness in John 5, 37. The scriptures bear witness in John 5, 39. Jesus bears witness about himself in John 8, 18. The crowd bears witness in John 12, 17. The promised Holy Spirit will bear witness in John 15, 26. The disciples will bear witness in John 15, 27. And John the apostle, the one who wrote this letter, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. He was an eyewitness, and we see that in John 21, 24. And God has used not just these witnesses, but a multitude of witnesses since that time to testify about the person and work of Jesus Christ. So during this Advent season, this time that we set aside to celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, will you listen to the testimony of God's witness? Starting there with John the Baptist, continuing through all those witnesses that I talked about in John, this witness that is Jesus Christ. Well, a few years ago, there's a famous basketball player named LeBron James, and he's one of the, the greatest. I'm not going to get into the debates about this, but he's one of the greatest players to play in this generation. And soon after he came in the NBA, he was just a high schooler, he played in Cleveland, and the city of Cleveland allowed Nike to put up a billboard on a building with, with LeBron James, with his arms out like this. It was a 10-story high billboard, 210 feet wide. LeBron James is putting his arms out like this, and the tagline says, we are all witnesses. Why would they do something like that? Why would Nike do something like that? Because they knew that they were seeing something they've never seen before, a player that had never been this good. And friends, when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, how much greater do we have a reason to raise a banner for Jesus? He, he is so much greater than LeBron James or any human that we could think of. And if you know and love the Lord Jesus, you could say, along with that billboard, we are all witnesses, not to LeBron James, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all witnesses. So the question is, will you, like John the Baptist, be a witness to those around you? One way to do that is during this Advent season, even next week, you could just invite some of your friends or neighbors right here uh, uh, 
in the evening, right here at Glenbard East, we're going to have some carols. We're going to hear about a testimony of someone who came to know the Lord Jesus. That's one way that you could be a witness. Just bring someone to hear about the Lord Jesus. Maybe during this season, you know someone at work who's going through a hard time. You have uh, been praying for certain people, and you could be a witness to the Lord Jesus wherever you are. Well, John the Baptist was sent by God to testify about the light, and we need to receive that witness. We need to listen to that witness. He came to testify about the light, and it's to that light we will now turn. So as we get to verse 9, we see that God's light has come to us. So after listening to God's witness, our next call is to receive the light. In the natural world, we all know that light is necessary to receive, uh, for, to have life. If we want to uh, live, we, we need the sun to sustain our life. It's very similar in the spiritual realm. Light is necessary for life. And here, the, the light that we're talking about is the Lord Jesus. If we want to receive this light, We need to know who this light is, why he is worth receiving. So in verse 9, we learn about this light. John says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Here we learn that Jesus shined brightly for everyone to see. Here we see that Jesus gives light to everyone. This means his light is available It is shining for all to see, but unfortunately, not everyone received his light. And still today, not everyone receives his light. Remember what the the, uh, prophet said, Isaiah, some hundreds of years before. He said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. But if we're going to receive the light, if we're going to receive Jesus, we need to follow a narrow path. Because when Jesus came into the world, he was largely rejected. And even today, he is largely rejected by the world. So we learn about two rejections that Jesus experienced in verses 10 and 11. So if you look there, the first rejection came from the world. Look at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Let's just stop and pause for a moment. Just think about the absurdity of that statement. Here he was, the eternal word of God, the light of the world. He came into the world, the world that he created so that he could save the world from their sins, from the wrath of God, and the world did not know him. They were indifferent to him. They could care less about him. It's important to note here that John uses the word world to refer not to our earth in general, but really to all those who are hostile towards God. It's the world system that opposes God. It's this world that did not know him. It means they were indifferent to him. They didn't accept his teachings. They didn't pay attention to him. And in case you haven't noticed, The same thing is true in the world today. It still doesn't pay attention 
to Jesus. Of course, that's absurd for those of us who know and love Jesus Christ, but so we have to ask the question, why would this happen? Why would the world reject Jesus, who is its very light, who is the one who would give it life? Well, there can be a lot of reasons, but two primary reasons are this, sin and Satan. First, sin. Sin causes us to reject Jesus. So if you have your Bible, you could turn over to John chapter 3, and there, right after the most famous book, or famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, in 3.19, Jesus says this, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and the people, what, they loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. So one reason for the rejection of Jesus is that people love the darkness. They don't want to give up their sin. You, you know when you're in a real deep, uh, a dark movie theater or, or somewhere dark and the lights go on, all of a sudden you close your eyes, you kind of, you, you turn away. It's as if the world did that to Jesus. They, they turned away and they never opened their eyes. So one reason for the rejection of Jesus is that people love the darkness. They love their own sin. To come to Jesus, you must come into the light. You've got to reject the darkness and come into the light. That is, confess your sins, renounce them, turn to this light, turn to Jesus. Well, another reason for the rejection of Jesus comes from spiritual blindness, really from the devil who gives this spiritual blindness. So listen to what Paul, the apostle, says in 2 Corinthians 4.4. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, that devil, that ancient serpent, that God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Proverbs 4 says that the wicked are walking in deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. So have you ever talked to someone about the Lord Jesus and just, it just seems like, man, nothing at all is, is happening. Maybe it's your own testimony. When you remember before you knew the Lord Jesus, you, you, you were blind. You loved the darkness. But at one point, God turned on that light. And all of a sudden, the things that didn't make sense, all of a sudden made sense. The things that you had no interest in, all of a sudden you, you treasured and, and craved. Well, the world is content with amusing itself to death. It is content to make decisions apart from God. The world thinks that it can exclude God from our lives, from government, from politics, from universities, from schools. How arrogant is the world system and how blind it still is. But it wasn't only the world that rejected this light. God's chosen people, Israel, also rejected him. 
So look at verse 11. It says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Just a few verses earlier, we were talking about John the Baptist, who had come as a witness to the people of Israel, to ready God's people to receive Jesus. But by and large, they rejected him. The religious leaders, they saw his good deeds, but they were threatened by Jesus, and ultimately they killed him along with the people of Israel. Peter says this indicting statement in Acts 3.15 to the men of Israel. He's, He's preaching there after Jesus had risen from the dead. He says, you denied the holy and righteous one, and you killed the author of life. What an indictment upon God's chosen people. They rejected their Messiah. I wonder, do you, do you ever uh, consider why there is such hostility against Jesus? It's because you can't stay neutral with him. He is the light that shines on everyone. Those who do not believe in him are content with remaining in the darkness. They love the darkness. Or they are so blind, so spiritually blind, that they don't even know the blindness of their blindness, how blind they are. So if you are a follower of Jesus today, when you face hardships because of your faith, remember your Savior's words later in John, in chapter 15. He says, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. You see, here John is doing what Paul does in Romans. He is showing that the Jews and the Gentiles, the world and his chosen people are all alike under sin. They've all rejected the Savior. But all is not lost. Not everyone rejects Jesus. There are some from the world. There are some from the Jewish people. In fact, a countless multitude from all tribes and nations throughout history that do believe, that will believe, who will receive this light and those who are still receiving him today. And there's very good news for such people. So look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here we see that to become a child of God, you must receive Jesus. Well, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to receive Jesus? Helpfully, John clarifies in the next phrase. He says that means believing in his name. When we think of believing, a lot of times we think of intellectual belief, affirming a set of facts. But belief in the Bible, and particularly in John, is about trusting in a person, not just intellectually affirming these facts. And if we want to believe in someone's name, a name at that time referred to one's entire being, their character, what they were about. So what John is saying, therefore, to believe in Jesus' name means to embrace him with one's entire being, to trust in him and who he is, whatever He says, we accept surrendering to him wholeheartedly. And so the question remains, well, who is he? Who is this light? And what do we need to do to trust in him? 
Well, I want to take us through the book of John very briefly and show you who Jesus is from this book. In chapter 3, we learn that Jesus is God's only son. In chapter 4, we learn that he is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. In chapter 5, we learn that he is God himself. In chapter 6, we learn that he is the bread of life. In chapter 8, that he is the light of the world. He is the great I am. In chapter 10, he is the good shepherd. In chapter 11, he is the resurrection and the life. In chapter 12, he is the way and the truth and the life. In chapter 15, he is the true vine. And it goes on and on. And the question is today, do you believe in this Jesus? Have you accepted him wholeheartedly? Have you received him? Verse 13 says it's this kind of belief that requires a supernatural birth. It's not something we can just do on our own. These people who are children of God, verse 13 says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, it's not our lineage or our background that makes us a child of God. We're not naturally children of God. It's not of blood. We're not Christians because we've grown up in church, or we've heard a lot about Jesus. We're not Christians because we come from a good family who believes in Jesus. No, to become a child of God, we must be born of God. I wanna ask for some hands. How many of you did anything to be born into this world? Okay, good. No one was raising their hand. So just as we did nothing to be born the first time, so also we can do nothing to be born the second time. It's all an act of God's grace. Nothing we can earn, nothing that we can plan. And here we see this, one of the mysteries of scripture. We see God's sovereignty at work and our responsibility at work. A lot of people get tripped up on this in the Bible. But in, in God's sovereignty, uh, we see that he is calling people to himself to give them life. Later, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, no one can come to the Father or to me unless the Father draws him. So God is calling people to himself all the time to give them new life, to cause them to be born again. We learn about it more in John chapter 3 as well. But then we have a human responsibility. That's God's job. We don't know how God does all of that. We just know from Scripture that he does it. But our responsibility is to respond to Jesus. We don't need to figure out how God does all of this. We do need to figure out, do we believe? Will we receive this Jesus? Will we believe in his name? That's our responsibility. So again, I will ask, have you received Jesus? Have you believed in his name? If you haven't, if you're just checking out church, today is the day to believe. Today is the day of salvation. How about today you become a child of God by surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus? 
That'd be wonderful. We would, we would rejoice with you. We'd love to talk to you about how to do that. But if you are a brother or sister in Christ, which is many, if not most of us today, will you rejoice afresh today? Will you thank God that he has given you the right to become his child? Can you imagine that? Becoming a child of the king of the universe, a child of God. You did nothing to earn it. It wasn't because he was like, oh man, they think they're going to be super useful for me, so I'm going to just save that person. It's not because of any of our merit. God and his own grace calls us to himself. It's all his grace. We can be proud of this heritage as God's children. And so as we take communion here in a couple minutes, we'll have a chance to reflect on God's amazing grace toward us in Christ. Well, another response to these verses would be to pray for God to open up the hearts of unbelievers around you. Remember, they're walking in deep darkness. They are spiritually blind. We need God's power to open up the eyes of the blind. We can't do that on our own, but we can be witnesses. We can pray for them, and we can look for opportunities to invite others into God's family. What a privilege we have to do so. Well, as we close, I want you to think about why you believe what you believe. This passage in John shows us that the testimony is clear. To become a child of God, we must receive the light. Jesus is that light. He can be trusted. God has been working his plan for all of history, and the culmination of that plan is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the center point of human history. All of human history up to that point was leading up to the Lord Jesus, and all of human history is looking back to what Jesus did on that cross and what he's going to do when he returns a second time. He's come to the earth once, and he's coming again. So the call for us today is to believe in his name, or to keep believing in his name, to be a witness for him until he comes. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a wonderful truth that we could become children of yours. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. There is no one like him. Lord, I know that there are some here that maybe are wrestling with belief. They don't fully trust you. They don't fully trust your son. And I pray today that you would turn on the light, that you would cause them to renounce their sin and turn to Christ. And for others of us, Lord, maybe we've grown stale in our understanding of what you have done for us. Maybe we have not been thankful in remembering. Lord, remind us afresh today of your goodness in your grace. Lord, we are so grateful that you have given us of yourself. And uh, we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus.